Okay, well, good morning. Lovely to see you. As promised last week, I am going to talk about how I have a relationship with Jesus. But really, really you could entitle it how to have a relationship because every truth that works in a relationship with Jesus works with every other relationship. Um, so I'm going to share three uh, key things with you that I think are really important in any relationship. That are important with Jesus and that are important with each other. Because um, I realise that relationship is something that you learn. And you often pick up what it means to be in relationship from uh, often your parents initially, um, or those around you, the caregivers, and that can help you or hinder you in being in relationship. So relationship, like everything else in life, is something that's learned. And relationship is so central to everything that we do. So these flags on our walls are places that we are involved with, but it's not just like we thought it'd be good to go to Nepal or we thought it'd be nice to go to Paraguay. No, we found some people who have a heart connection. They want the same things we want and they want to learn the same things we want to learn. And they express it a bit differently because it's in their culture and it's in their place, but there's, a, there's this heart connection. So we don't, we don't go anywhere or do anything unless we actually know what it is to be in heart together. It's just so important. That's going to really annoy me if I don't do that. There we go. So, so of course, relationship is huge for me personally because everything I do flows from it. Because I understand first it starts with a relationship and then it outflows into relationship at various levels and various depths because we're human and we have limitations. But, but I really want to share with you this idea about being in relationship. And the first thing you've got to grasp is that Jesus is a person. He is a person, first and foremost. And you communicate with people all the time. Of course, the difference is you can't see with your physical eyes Jesus, but he's still a person. And, and if you just kind of get that somehow, it, it gets rid of some of the nonsense that we put up, the barriers we put up for actually relating to him. And the truth is, actually, you communicate with people you can't see all the time. You email, you text, you tweet, you send Facebook messages, you Snapchat, you whatever. You communicate with people all the time that you can't see. You write things down and you send it to them even though you can't see them. And of course, the difference is they send it back in a written form that you can read and Jesus doesn't always do that. But the truth is you share your life with people that you never see all the time. Well, it's just the same with Jesus as I'm going to show you. So you don't need to say that you can't do it because you do. You already, in this day and age, share your life in a written form with people that you know, can't see all the time, don't you? Yeah. All the time? Okay. But, but listen, if we want to... And of course, when you first... Um, I remember first getting my first phone in like, what would it be, 1998, 1999, when I started work, and it was rather big and rather heavy, and it just had like numbers on it. Um, but I had to learn how to text, and it took a while when you had to use the press alt numbers to text and everything. But you had to learn how to do it. I had to learn to communicate. Some of you were like, what? what's one of them? But um, you had to learn how to communicate in a new way. And, and if you think about it, if you want to communicate via your voice, you have to learn to speak. If I want to communicate with Ellie in a native language, I have to learn to communicate in a different way. I have to learn Italian. So I can learn how to communicate. If I want to communicate with words, I have to learn how to write. And I have to learn how to spell. And I have to learn a little bit of grammar to communicate effectively. If I want to learn how to communicate in, in all different ways, I have to learn to use the different tools that are on my phone. So we've all had to learn to communicate. You've already learned how to communicate with various people in various ways, is the point I'm making. 
And when we're talking about Jesus, we're just talking about communicating. So it means you can already do it. You're not coming from a place of care. You're coming from a place of I can, because you already do. It's just learning to do it in a slightly different way. So, let's see if my little doobry works. Oh, there, look at that. The first thing you've got to do for any relationship, and this is really obvious, is to make time to share and make time to listen. Make time to share and make time to listen. Now, in days gone by, if you like, we used to call this a quiet time. You'd sit with your Bible, you'd read a passage, perhaps with some notes to help you, and then you'd talk to Jesus. And the idea was that you would carve out some part of the day to make time but with him. Now, I cannot emphasize how important it is that if you have never done it, to do it. It's really important. If you've never developed a discipline of carving out some time to sit and to talk and to share with this person called Jesus, then it's really important that you do. Because that discipline creates life. Eventually, that discipline becomes life to you, and two things happen. First, you fall so much deeper in love with Jesus that you don't have to discipline yourself to spend time with him because you love to do it. Secondly, your awareness and consciousness of him increases to the point where you are continually spending time with him. But it starts with making it a discipline. In fact, every good thing starts with a discipline. That's the truth. Every good thing starts with making a discipline. Now, I realise... If you're younger than me, it's very easy, which is increasingly more and more people, it's very easy. That was too long a laugh. Um, <laughs> I realise that if you're younger, it's very easy to despise what's gone before and try and reinvent the wheel. And it's okay. I did it when I was in my teens and 20s, and that's what we do when we're in our 20s and 30s. We try and reinvent the wheel and find new ways of doing things because old things are old and they're rubbish and everything that's new is good. But I just want to remind you, there are two kinds of new. In the Greek language, there are two words for new. There's neos and there's kainos. Neos means new in the sense of time and the clock, what was created most recently. So my iPhone is now quite old because now there's an iPhone 10s and Max and R. That's the neos iPhone. And I can spend four figures on my phone and that's progress. I'm not quite sure what that means. But anyway, kainos, though, means new in terms of freshness. It's got nothing to do with his age as measured in time, but everything to do with freshness and newness to us. So we live in this culture which celebrates and pronounces neos over kainos. That's why X Factor, BGT, The Voice, all that stuff is so popular, because everybody wants to know what the new thing is. I mean, does anybody know who won it three years ago? No, because we want the new thing, the next thing. What's the, what's the next new thing? That's got to be the best thing because it's new. The problem is the next new thing is not necessarily good. It's not even the best and not even good. And the problem with living in this neos culture is that you constantly look for the new thing, never satisfied because there might be something newer and better. That's how Apple have become a, a trillion dollar company. Because it's new and we live in a new culture and I've got the old one and I need the new one. Even though it still makes phone calls exactly the same way. And I'll probably get one, it's alright, I'm just saying. Maybe not. Anyways. But then there's kainos. A quiet time. A small amount of time devoted and carved out for Jesus might feel like it's old and an outdated thing to do to sit down with a Bible that actually has pages you can turn and a pen that has ink in it and paper you can write on. It may seem completely outdated, but it can be extremely new. It can be kainos. New. 
it can be fresh. Some of the best things are old, like me. No. But some of the best things can be old. And, and, and I worry, and maybe this tells you that I'm getting older, but when I see people only looking forward for something new, we must remember not everything that is new in terms of neos is good, and not everything that is old is bad. It's really important we remember we are part of something greater than now. And if it wasn't for the old, we wouldn't have what we have now. If it weren't for people who had gone before, like Arthur Wallace, Smith, Tozer, C.S. Lewis, we wouldn't see, you wouldn't have what you've got now. And if you go back a bit closer, if it weren't for Bryn and Derek Brown and Paul, you wouldn't be sat here now because I wouldn't be studying now and you wouldn't have what you enjoy. It's really important that we remember we are part of a story. You are at a moment in time and there are things in front, but there is much behind. You see, when you learn to drive, you're taught to look as much at what's behind you as what's in front of you, aren't you? Mirror, signal, manoeuvre. How many of you actually look in your mirror very often now when you drive? Margaret does. Well done, Margaret. All right. Yeah, you've just learned, so that's all right. Like, yeah. But many, many, if you want, I've been in a car with Nigel, who's, who's a police driver. He spends more time looking what's behind him than does what's in front of him. He's like this all the time. I'm like, have you got a crick in your neck or what? He's like, no. Like, honestly. But, but the point is this. Sometimes we get into bad habits and just focus on what's in front, forgetting about what's behind. And of course, there's, it's just a great picture of how we treat life, and it's not safe and it's not good. We, we can't just be constantly looking forwards. No, there are some great things backwards. There may well be some things you want to forget. I understand that. I'm with you on that one. But there are also some wonderful things. Jesus put it like this. I think I've got... No, I haven't got a slide for that one. Therefore, every teacher of the law has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. You notice Nath did that really well this morning. So he started out with a song that him and the team wrote just last year, and then he brought some out of the old, but it was fresh. I remember, it must have been the 80s, if not younger, older even, but yet there's a fresh, why? Well, it's not new, but it's fresh. It's not neos, but it's kainos. That's what the best people do. They bring out of the old and the new, because they realize there's freshness in the old. Okay, that were a little aside. But back to time to share and listen. It's a discipline, and I use the word on purpose. By the fact that it's a discipline means you have to kind of make yourself do it because you won't naturally do it. And often we think we've got to set aside a long time, but if you're not doing it already, then five or ten minutes is great. And listen, there's no best time. I know, I know Jesus often prayed in the morning or through the night, but that's because it was the only time he could get any space. He couldn't lock himself away anywhere. He lived in everybody else's house. The only time he could get any space on his own was in the middle of the night when everybody else was asleep or first thing in the morning before they'd all got up. But there'll be a good time for you and that will change as you go through life. It changes when you've not got kids. It changes if you're living on your own. It changes if your kids have left home. It changes. What's the best time for you? John Ortberg says this, what if morning is the worst time for you? You may be the kind of person even Jesus doesn't want to talk to in the morning. That's <laughs> <laughs> great, isn't it? He does want to talk to you, but you know, you get what I mean. What's the best time? Find it. Discipline yourself to do it. If you've never done it and you want to grow your relationship with Jesus, you need to carve out some time to be with him. Of course, then you're going, well, what am I going to do in this 10 minutes? What am I going to talk to him about? 
Well, all too often, we, we try and pray, but we're thinking about all sorts of things that are in our head, and we go, but I want to pray about this, but I can't focus. But perhaps the thoughts that are flying around your head is a good place to start. Perhaps what's going on in your head is exactly where you're meant to start. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And then, of course, I said that it's a time to share and a time to listen. Well, listening, I suppose that's the harder part, because I've already said you already share with people without seeing them by writing it down all the time. But, but the word speak is a very interesting word. One of the dictionary definitions of speak is simply to make known. Often the voice is involved, but sometimes not. I've walked into cathedrals, and that cathedral has spoken to me of the awe, the wonder, the majesty, the hard work, the endeavour. Like it speaks, doesn't it? Environments speak. What I'm wearing right now speaks. Everything speaks. It's more than possible that God is constantly speaking to you. Often you are just not aware of what's going on. There's a wonderful story in Numbers 22. I'm going to read it to you. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey and his two servants with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, he turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards, with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it, so he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place, where there was no room to turn, either to the right or the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam. He was angry, and beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and it said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? This is where it gets weird. That's not the weird bit. The weird bit is, Balaam answered the donkey. <laughs> That's the weird bit, that he actually, he's so upset, he actually starts talking to his donkey, who just talked to him. That's weirder than the donkey talking for me. You have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now, the donkey said to Balaam. Am I not your own donkey, which you've always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? This is brilliant. Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? So, God's trying to get Balaam's attention. Balaam's thick as two short planks, like me and most of us. So, but the donkey is wise enough to see what's going on in this story. And the story is a story of awareness, really. The story is, so when the donkey says, have I been in the habit of doing this to you? And he goes, no. The, the, the moral of the story is, when something unusual goes on, it might be God. When something different than the norm goes on, prick your ears up. When I was on holiday, Annoyingly, I woke up at 5 a.m., four times on the trot. And I just thought, oh, it must be the weather, it must be the heat, it must be the weather. By the fifth morning of waking up at 5 in the morning, I went, God, are you trying to say something to me? He said, yeah, get up and read John 5. Okay. I did, and he gave me this word that I preached at the conference and the, one, the power of the ordinary thing. But you see, when something unusual happens, don't be as dense as me and wait four days, all right? And the fifth day, I could have had some great sleep if I'd have just listened on the first day. But I just thought it was warm and it was sunny and it would annoy you and all right, I'll go back to sleep. But, but when something unusual happens, maybe that might be God. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying our awareness is really key. So our biggest issue then is not that my posh doobry doobry don't work. Why ain't my doobry working? Oh, are you interfering there with my doobry? 
nurse interfering with Uber. There we go. Our biggest issue is not that God doesn't speak, it's that we're very powerless now. It's not, God is, honestly, God is telling you wonderful things all the time. It's an issue of our awareness. And you want to build awareness by being with somebody, by spending time. Because eventually, once you've spent time with somebody, I know now, Faye can just glance at me, or raise her eyebrow, or chuckle up, and I know what's going on. I don't even need, you shouldn't even need to use words. Why is that? Because now I'm aware. We've built up a relationship that 10 years ago, I'd have been like, you what, love, what, what are you doing? No. <laughs> Across the crowded room, when I'm not meant to say anything, you know, that'd be the sort of dense thing I'd say. So, but now, we've built up this relationship because we've spent enough time together, and we know each other, and now I'm thinking, oh, Faye's probably feeling like this right now, and I can look, and I glance, and, and she'll confirm that that's right, and then I'm, do you, you know, if you've been in a relationship long enough, you get to know one another. But it's like that with Jesus. That's the whole point. So when you sense something, you're like, okay, this is Jesus now. I know I'm sensing him. I know I'm there. But you've got to spend the time. Um, okay, where shall we go? Um, yeah, let's just whiz on. Let's go past Hebrews and on to... Oh, that's really... Thank you. No, I don't want to go to Hebrews 5. Oh, that's it. You see, I point it, need to point it that way, don't I? That's why. <laughs> Getting old. Technology. <laughs> Wanted one of these for us so long as well. All right. I'm going to talk about being honest. I can't tell you how important this is. Okay. Dishonesty lies, not sharing the whole truth, these things can severely damage and even kill off relationships. Most relationships breakdowns happen because those in the relationship are not honest with one another. And what you find is if people in a relationship can be honest with each other early on, as in before it becomes a big issue, it's nearly always resolvable. But when that thing remains hidden for a long, 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 long time, it grows and grows and grows. And the possibility of that being resolved is not impossible, but it goes down. Because it grows and gets bigger. So, there we go. So, Proverbs 10 and verse 3 says this, Ill-gotten gain gets you nowhere. An honest life is immortal. God won't starve an honest soul, but he frustrates the appetites of the wicked. Now, in our times with Jesus, in our sharing with him, we must be honest. Often we think that prayer has got to be us mumbling away somewhere. But in order to know what to pray, in order to work out what those thoughts are that's going on in your head, sometimes you've got to take time to actually journal, to write down. All <laughs> sorts of things going on about, isn't it? To write down what's going on. And then you've got something that you can... <laughs> My Lord. Sometimes... You don't know what to pray about. And, and the process of writing is incredibly um, helpful in whatever way you do that. Or getting it down on paper one way or another. And, and I'm going to talk about all the different ways. But um, this is my journal. This is where I write all the things that are going on for me. And uh, I'm going to read some extracts out of it. Uh, before I do that, though, I'm going to just say a couple of things. They are edited extracts. 
uh, to protect me and anybody else. Uh, they're also from a couple of years ago, so if you thought you had a conversation with me last week, it's not about you, all right? So they're from a couple of years ago. And actually, none of them are about uh, this, anybody that's around here, so it's all about different situations around about. I never wrote this thinking I would do this with it, all right? This was just for me and God. I never expected anybody to hear it, and I feel quite vulnerable even thinking about reading it to you, but I do it because I want you to see what I think it means about being honest, okay, with Jesus, because this is just between me and Jesus. So let me, uh, let me read some of it to you. Uh, I spent the afternoon with this individual and was excited to learn of the progress we might make. The answer, it seems, is none. It's not happening as far as I can tell. I listen to this person's stories and, and meetings and wonder about my own significance and impact. There is still a part, small part of me that wants the recognition, the adulation, the applause. So this is how honest I am with myself. Well, not quite that. It's more about being known, I think. I'm not at rest in this regard, nor at peace. What does it mean for me to be significant on the earth? Am I content if my name is never known? Do I feel my revelation needs to be heard? Does it? Is that important? So this is what I'm feeling at the time, and I'm just right now. This is where I'm at. It all simply points to a further need for me to be at rest in the Father and his love and appreciation of me. As I contemplate going to this place today, I don't want to go. I don't want to go because after today's time, I feel sadness, anger, and physically sick. It grieves me, but I realize it grieves you so much more, Father. I want to go today with love in my heart, with something to give, so I give you the pain I feel, I give you the anger and the sadness, and the sense that I want to get back at. I recognize the attempt to control and be in charge, react with me. I want to fight it and prove wrong. But this is not your heart, simply a reflection of my anger and pain. I give it to you. Forgive me for my own selfish, fleshy desires. I ask you to deal with whatever it is in me that rises up against. So I'm acknowledging this is how I feel. I'm not pretending it. I'm not pretending it's not there. That's what's really in my heart, and I'm writing it out because I want to give it to Jesus, because I don't want to take that stuff with me. I've got to go and meet these people, and I'm recognising this is how I feel, but I'm not going to take that with me. And if I don't write it and get it out, I'll take it with me, and they'll get it, and they don't deserve it. Um, where are we now? Frustrated is how I feel. Deeply frustrated about a whole catalogue of things, and then I'll list them all. So much in life I'm frustrated about. And then I go on a realize there's actually one thing underneath it all. I feel torn. On one hand, I feel confident I can, I can complete this assignment, and on the other, I feel concerned that I am not able. In my head, I rehearse the conversation and sound strong and unflinching, but I don't think this is really me. I need it to just be me and not worry about anything else. This is what Father God would desire, for me to be me and to operate how the person he has created me to be. That moment when you go in a meeting and you rehearse it in your head and you're thinking, and you know that actually... You'd love it to be like that, but it probably won't be. It's all right. At the moment, I feel like a fool. I'm an idiot. Why the heck am I here and what am I doing? I don't enjoy it one bit. I do it for the Lord, not willingly, but as an act of service and sacrifice. I do it because he first loved me. This is all true, but it doesn't stop me feeling physically sick at the thought of... I've just told the Lord everything I've written, cried my eyes out at the pain of it all. Of course, it's nothing compared to what Jesus did for me, but it's very painful, so very painful. I have no idea how Paul has or does deal with it, but at least I have given some of it to the Lord. 
That's what it means to me, to be honest. It's a small part of me. But when I talk about being honest with Jesus, and when Paul talks about journaling and writing it out, I know if you read that, it'd be the same. It's like, this is what I'm feeling right now. This is what's going on. This is what's happening in my head. And I'm not ashamed to tell you it because I'm human. And I, and I read those thoughts to you to give you an idea of what it might mean. There's no right way to write it down, but writing it down can be extremely helpful to understanding what's going on. And there's more than one way to do this. So Paul types it all up on his iPad. It's all on his iPad and he types it all up on there. I write it in actual pen and paper in a book because I just something to me about it. Faye tried doing this and struggled for a little while to be able to get out and then we, we sat with Paul and now she's got 50 coloured pens and a beautiful book and she does these spider diagrams and it's all pretty and different colours and so she writes the date in the middle and she's got oh, this going on, this going on, and then she'll, something comes off that, that. Because she can't, she's different to me. She's prettier than me, so her journaling looks pretty. But like, it's, it's her way of, you might draw it. You might draw little pictures that represent something. But we've got to find a way of getting this stuff out of us. Because, because the whole purpose of this exercise is so you can get it out of you. And once it's written, you read it as a prayer to give it to him. That's what I do. So I'll do it, and then I'll just read it to him. I'll go, God. And sometimes I've written an actual prayer afterwards. Sometimes I've not. Sometimes it just stops, and I use it as a basis for it. But that's not Im- what's important is I know I've dealt with this buildup of negative energy and emotion in my soul and given it to Jesus. Because if you don't deal with that negative energy and emotion and pain, it will deal with you, one way or another. And it's fascinating when you give yourself to this stuff. And this is just a practical outworking of what Jesus said. I think I've got this. There we go. So this, and if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you might know this verse. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, come to me. Well, what does it mean? Give him your burden. It means this. It means be honest and real about it. Tell him what it's really like. Stop putting your Sunday face on and pretending that it's all wonderful because I've got Jesus. Well, we have got Jesus, but that doesn't mean it's all wonderful. It means it's all dealable with. It means it's all restorable. It means it can all come back around again. It means it's all made wonderful. But at the moment, actually, it can be really, really rubbish, to use a nice word for it. And of course, if we are not honest in what we write, we can't give it away. There's no point writing, it was a good day and Jesus was with me. Well, that's true. But like I brought in there, and again, you have to know, I never thought, never once did I think I'm going to read this to people. So when I write, what did I write? Something like, this, yeah, I'm doing it for Jesus. This is all true, but I still feel sick. That's the reality. But of course, the beauty of it is, and it's all through the Bible. I mean, you read David's Psalms, read Lamentations, you'll find these people are going, God, this is rubbish, and they go on and on and on about it. I mean, Lamentations, they don't even bother telling God he's wonderful at end. It's just a complete book about mourning. At least David manages to come to God at the end of his Psalms, which is a better place to be. So you're not, I just feel like I'm with these people somehow. I'm, I'm with them. It's there. It's the only way I know to cope, to be honest. It's the only way I know to emotionally cope with life. Because otherwise it just gets on top of you. And I know the moments, there's some moments in here where I write things like, I've been really short with fear and I realise it's because I've not dealt with these low-lying things. I've not talked to Jesus about it. I've not shared it with somebody. And it starts to come out. You start to get irritable. You start to get short. You start to just become a pain in bum to be around. 
It's because you've not dealt with these things. Okay. This is the third thing. Be prepared to change your assumptions of the other person. Now, you may not have thought this would be on the list. The first two are a bit more obvious. But this is actually really, really key. And I'll explain why, first of all, by telling you a story about me that actually spans 10, 15 years. Um, it's not going to last that long, don't worry. But, um, and then I'm going to show you how that relates to your relationship with Jesus, okay? But when I thought about this, and, and I, I asked the Lord, gave me these three things. So in 1995, I went to university in Newcastle. At that time, I'd been dating Ange, who would later become my first wife, uh, for about six months. Um, I didn't really enjoy university. Most of the time, I felt quite lonely. Didn't realise how lonely until just last week, actually. But um, most of the time, it wasn't... Yeah, it was quite a lonely time. And we would write to each other. For those of you who don't know, that's where you get a, a piece of paper and you write on it and you put an envelope. <laughs> we have these things called stamps. Um, and then there's these red things called post-op boxes. You can put your letter in there, and a man called a postman takes it, <laughs> and you get it the next day if you're lucky. Okay? It's, it's a fascinating piece of technology. Wonderful. Because um, in 1995, that's all the war. <laughs> Amazingly, our life changes so fast, doesn't it? But, uh, and we would literally write every day. I, I think most of my maintenance grant, because I was lucky enough to get one, went on stamps and paper, I think. Um, but there we go. We'd write to one another every day. And we got to speak to each other once a week on a Saturday morning from the hall telephone for an hour. Uh, you see, you guys are so... Literally, once a week, we got to speak to each other for an hour. And it didn't always go well because you were so... Yeah, anyway, never mind, it didn't. It's not easy having those relationships. And we... Anyways, so I used to like my Saturday mornings. They were great. But, of course, each day, it meant I got a letter, or nearly every day I got a letter... From her, and I'd, I'd wander through the hall of residence, and there'd be all these, they probably don't even exist in halls of residence now, but there'd be all these like letter boxes, and they'd all be like under the seas, and you'd flick through everybody's letters and find yours. And, and it was great. I didn't like it when I had a nine o'clock lecture because the post wouldn't come in time, and I had to wait till I got home, and I didn't like it. I'll tell you, you'll realize why that's so important in a minute. But they brought me security, and they reminded me of her love for me. They were a daily reminder she'd thought about me. Bothered to take the time to write and post a letter in a busy day, working for uh, doing what she did at the time. I didn't realise how much they meant to me, though, until nearly a decade later. So fast forward to 2008. Angela's going to be with Jesus. Faye and I are starting our relationship. And I'm finding myself quite stressed if I don't hear from Faye during the day. So if she didn't send me a text message, because we've moved on to 2008 now, <laughs> if I don't get a text message, I'm like, I'm feeling, this, I'm feeling quite stressed, actually. And... Um, if she went out on an evening with friends, I would, be, I would be really quite stressed if I didn't get a message or I, I didn't get some form of communication from her. Um, what was all that about? Well, eventually, after much talking to people and praying and making time and space to process it, I worked out I was hugely insecure about Faye's love for me. Of course... What I also realise now is that I was hugely insecure of Angie's love for me, but for three years she sent me a letter every day, which masked my insecurity. So I got told, I love you, every day in a letter, even though I was in Newcastle. And of course we couldn't text then, because we didn't have phones. We couldn't email, because you only had email if you were in a university. So, so for three years with Angie, I'm getting this affirmation every day. And it wasn't that Faye didn't do it, because she did. She'd tell me, she'd speak to me. But I didn't realise this, this insecurity had grown within me. And of course I'd already 
Andrew died, so now I'm like, I'm holding a little bit too tight on what God's given me. The truth was that I had an underlying assumption or fear. I was really asking, do they love me? Will they come back to me? And my starting point was that they didn't. So I was asking them to continue to prove to me that they loved me and wanted to be with me, which Ange did without knowing it through the less. Of course, what that leads you to be is quite controlling, which only pushes somebody further away and makes it more likely for the wrong assumption to be proved true because nobody wants to be controlled or feel like they're being controlled. My assumption about Faye now needed to change. She'd constantly tell me she loved me. She, was, she wasn't interested in anybody else. She'd write me cards and get better at texting me and reminding me. But until I changed my underlying assumption, it did no good. Just did no good. She could say all the words, send all the messages and the cards, but it made no difference while I stubbornly held on to my false assumption about her. I had to choose to trust and believe it as true. When I did that, and it took a while, and a very, very gracious fair. I was much more at rest, and you actually become even closer because now you're more releasing. But the only way my relationship with Faye could grow was if I dealt with my wrong assumption and started to trust what Faye had said. She'd already given me lots of proof. What I needed was trust in that proof. Now, lots of people in this situation demand their partner or friend should keep in touch more or even not go out so they don't have to deal with their own wrong assumptions, but that is not relationship. Relationship means you work on your own fears and your own assumptions and you don't just ask the other person to change their behaviour to accommodate your fears or assumptions. For our relationship to grow, I had to deal with my wrong assumptions about fear and when I did, I found that we just got closer. Because suddenly I'm, I'm going, okay, I'm trusting. It's okay. You've got to remember at this time, I'm, I'm 30 odd with three kids, she's 21 and going out with her 20 year old friends and I'm going, what girl would want to be with me? Why would anybody want to be with me? She's got all these friends. They've all got no commitments, no nothing. They don't have kids to put to bed, kids to pick up from nursery, kids that are going through a grieving process of the mum. Like, I can justify it pretty good if I want to. But ultimately, I had a belief. God gave me this woman, and she loves me, and I have to trust that. Turn that around on to God. God has given you all sorts of proof of his love for you. All sorts of proof of his love for you. And you get told, you've heard many, many preachers and many, many teachings about how much he loves you and cares for you and how you're worthy of his love and all that sort of stuff, and yet we stubbornly hold on to our wrong assumptions about him. And no matter how many words, how many cards, no matter if he sent you a text message, it doesn't really matter because you hold on to a wrong assumption about him. And just as in this relationship, it's the same in this relationship. Unless I'm willing to let go of that assumption, nothing's going to change. And of course, God is so gracious that he will keep telling us and keep going and he, he, won't, he won't control us, he won't, he won't do the things that I did wrongly. Actually, he'll keep loving us. But if you really want to grow in that, you have to give up that assumption and start to trust that he means what he says. It's the only way that you can grow. And that's why I think this is so important because first of all, you've got to make some time and some space. Then you've got to be actually honest about what's going on. And then you've got to be willing to change your assumptions about him. And actually, if you're able to do that, your relationship with him takes off. There are all sorts of wrong assumptions that we hold about Jesus. Perhaps you assume he could never love you. Perhaps you assume he could never forgive you. Perhaps you assume it's simply not true for you. 
Perhaps you feel he would reject you if you were honest. Perhaps you feel you're not worthy of his love. They're all wrong assumptions about Jesus. And every single one will stop you growing in relationship with him and every single one can be dealt with in him. So, Adam's top tips for relationship. There's a blog there somewhere. Make time to share and time to listen. And of course, this works on every level. Friendships, spouses, parents, children. Works on every level. Okay. So this is ace, because it just goes out into every relationship you've got. Make time to share. And ta- notice, notice that there's two things in that first one. Time to talk and time to listen. Be honest. And be prepared to change your assumptions about the other person. Because what you think about them might not quite be true. And maybe your relationship with Jesus and with other people can go to a whole new level when you decide that actually what they've been saying for this past few years might actually be true. And you might give them an actual chance at letting that come true. Of course, that's vulnerable. It's a vulnerable place to be. Because what happens if it turns out to be wrong? And that's the fear that keeps you there. That fear keeps you there all the time. But what if, what if, what if? But what if? How many what ifs ever actually happen? How many what ifs ever actually come true? But of to go deeper in relationship with anybody, with Jesus, with one another, it requires that you make yourself a little bit vulnerable and take some risks. And if I can stand here and read this to all of you when whoever else is watching, you can take some risks. You can make yourself vulnerable. Because Jesus wants a deep, beautiful, long-lasting relationship with you. And you were built to have deep, long-lasting relationships with lots of other people. But for the stars, you'll need to do those three things. Shall we pray? Jesus, I I want to thank you that we can even talk about having a relationship with you. That the God of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe, the one who spans infinite light years, would send Jesus in order that we might be able to relate. We might be able to know you and your love and your peace and your grace and your joy and your mercy and your goodness. And that you might listen to us and impart goodness to us. Jesus, what an honor and privilege to even be able to have a relationship with you. And Father, as I've shared this morning, I pray, Lord, if there was anything that was not quite right, Lord, would you just let it fall to the ground? But Lord, if there were words that came from your heart, then I'm asking that they would settle in our hearts, Father. And Lord, I realize even saying some of these things, it can set some of us on edge because we realize, oof, even the thought of being honest, the thought of trusting somebody, Lord, these are big things for us, Lord, sometimes. So, So more than anything, I just pray your peace, Father. I pray you're covering, Lord. I thank you that every good thing comes from you, Lord. And you are a God who wants us to relate, wants us to be together, wants us to commune, Father, with you and with one another. So, Father, I just ask your your peace, Father, any any prodding and poking your Holy Spirit's done in our hearts, Father, just your peace, Lord, that we'll be bold enough and brave enough to go with the voice of your Spirit as we've heard it this morning throughout our whole morning together, Father. In the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. I want to say thank you for your...
prayers because without your prayers, I wouldn't have been able to do any of that. Because honestly, I just thought I should do it and I, hadn't, I didn't even have those three headings on Sunday. And they just came to me throughout the week and God filled them out. Even this morning, he filled it out a little bit. So thank you. You, you all play a part in this stuff. And it's really, really important.